Genesis 17, um, as you guys are turning there. Quick announcements. Wednesday uh, is our small group study here. It starts at 7. If you want to bring food, you can get here 6, 6.30. And uh, what we do is we just cover the week prior sermon. Like, how did it apply to us? It's time to pray. Time to, believe it or not, get to know one another. Right? Time to confess your sins to one another. Time to encourage one another. All that biblical stuff. Right? I don't believe church is a place where people spectate. Right? We're all involved. We're all part of the body. And, and if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer together. But that's body life. And we're fostering that. So feel free. If you need to come and get prayer, just talk with somebody. Also, the other thing I encourage, who are you praying with in the church? Who's your prayer partner? Right? Find someone in the church that you can pray with for, just start for a month, 30 days. All right. You want somebody, pick somebody who's better than you. <laughs> somebody that can reach across and slap you upside the head when you're not doing so hot and somebody you can reach across, slap them in the head. You know, that's what keeps us alive. It's a three chord strand, right? You got you, your friend, and you got the Lord hopefully in there to keep you strong, but you, you need that, right? And we're coming up on late winter in the UP. This is where we go crazy, right? Shaq happy, right? We get silly this time of year because we don't have vitamin D. We don't have sunlight, you know, so. Um, but B, ask yourself, who, do, who can you pray with? We want to develop body life here. So uh, other than that, Saturday, we have our, our men's gathering. We get together 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, and we burn stuff on our hot plate, call it breakfast. And then uh, we have prayer for for an hour or so, short little Bible study. Um, that's available as well. Um, other than that, just motoring through the scriptures. Next week we're going to be in Genesis 18. We're, we're pathological like that. So let's go to Genesis 17 and open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask for your anointing on your Holy Spirit, on your, on your word. We pray for... Uh, Clean us up, clean us out. Lord, make yourself true. Conform us into your son's image. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Genesis 17. This picks up after Abram's big failure. Second big failure, that is. You ever wonder why God uses such failures in the Scripture? Because it's all he has. It's what he works with. He's attracted to failure. He he looks at some people. I think the Lord just looked at me one day and he said, Oh, you poor thing, you're not gonna be. Not without me at least. You know, he he picks you ever notice he picks from the back of the pack? <laughs> Maybe you're in good company going, Right on, man, that's that's what I needed to hear today is I bring nothing to the table except for an opportunity for God to be glorified in his grace. And that's really what Abram is, is in this story, because we get a process in Abram's life. The story now, when do we pick up on Abram? He was 65, now he's 99. You ever get frustrated with yourself because you've not gotten to be what the Scripture says you should be? And, and the temptation is to grow weary in doing good. Why even bother? I've been a Christian for two million years and I still cuss like a sailor. I'm a Christian for two million years and I still have impure thoughts. Why even try? Well, it's because Jesus is coming back. It's because Jesus, Jesus loves you. It's because of what Christ did on the cross. That's why you should keep going. Because people are dying and going to hell. And if you quit, you're going to miss the blessing of leading others and discipling others in the Lord. And God is very long-suffering and patient with us. Isn't that, isn't that nice to know that he's not trying to grow a dandelion? He's trying to grow an oak tree. Okay, and This is what we see with the life of Abram. So it says here in verse, verse 1 here, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. I like how each of these little vignettes in Abram's life and in the lives of those in Abram's entourage, God always has a part of his facet, part of his character is revealed in the narrative. You know, God doesn't just reveal himself all at once. You know, there's a divine, like, 
what would you call it? Like a treasure hunt, like a scavenger hunt with God where isn't it cool how God continues to reveal himself to you and I, even in our failure, even in our successes, where God wants you to learn of him. Like Jesus says, take my yoke upon me and learn of me. And what he's learning here is that God says to Abram, I am almighty God, El Shaddai. That what he's trying to say here, is there anything too hard for God? And God is going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And we're going to see that in Abram. He cannot produce an heir. In fact, the narrative will tell us he physically couldn't even have reproductive success himself. Not only will Sarah be past menopause, but he himself is just, hey man, that ship sailed for you, bro. <laughs> and God likes to wait till the human effort is out of the way before he does what he's going to do. But he's proving to Abram he is almighty God. God says, Abram, you're going to be a father of many nations. He, he tells Abram all these lofty promises. And, and you know, what God does to you and I is he tells us who we are in the kingdom up front. Right? You look at the men and the women of Scripture and how God has changed their name or he has given them an assignment that is contrary to their own physical nature. You know, you look at Gideon. He comes to Gideon he says, hey, Mighty man of God. And Gideon, we find him, he's threshing wheat in a cistern out of the view of the enemy, almost in a cowardly fashion. And Gideon probably was going, are there two of us around here? Because I don't really fit the bill. And sometimes, do you ever feel like God has made the wrong phone call on you? Like, I'm a total dingus, Lord. Why did you pick me? Well, that's why. Picks the foolish things the world to shame the wise. You know, you and I, we don't, touch the glory of God. And sometimes in our foolishness, we just really allow God to do what he needs to do. But in this narrative here, it's been 13 years since uh, God spoke to Abram. You know, Abram doesn't have the luxury of the Bible, does he? He can't just do his daily devotions. He probably has some campfire stories. 13 years, you know, you have to be careful as a Christian. You ever been around Christians that God tells them everything? Well, God said, I made a deal with God. God said, be careful with that, the God clause. Yeah, God does speak to us. What's the primary way? You know, we get the luxury of the Bible. And God does impress things on our heart. But I don't think God in my life, as I mature as a Christian, uh, there's less and less what I call an audible, where the Lord's given me direction and guidance, but like he's not speaking to me so much as I've just let the word speak to me. And we have to be careful using that God clause here because sometimes God will be silent in your life until you continue on in the last act of obedience. Or maybe he's just giving you time, right? He's giving you time to grow, giving you time to mature giving you time to think about it, right? He understands who he's working with. I mean, I think of it this way. I remember as a teenager, early teenager, 12, 13, I really wasn't enthusiastic about waking up on time to go to school. And mom would start waking me up at 7, 7.30 to get me on the bus by 8, 8.30. Because she knew it took an hour for my thick head to wrap around the idea I'm going to be late for school. And so mom would just... Keep calling, waking me up, come up, turn my lights on, do whatever she has to do. And sometimes God, he has to start real early with you and I because he knows how thick we are. <laughs> he, right? Sometimes we just don't get it right away. And God's very patient with us. We're going to see after this story that Isaac is going to be the center stage character of the story here. And, and God is preparing the line of the Messiah. He's preparing a nation. But at this part of the story here, God is going to appear to Abraham. God is going to give Abram his presence. I find in my trial sometimes... I'll just use my example, having COVID. 
you know, in the hospital, I really didn't have the cognition to listen to sermons or watch anything or read my Bible. My brain was smoked, plus all the chemicals they put me on. I was kind of in a stupor. But the one thing I do vividly remember is the Lord gave me his presence. He, he just simply just allowed me to sense that he was right there with me in the trial. Okay? And it's the Lord himself and his presence oftentimes is the end game, right? He doesn't always do it, right? He, he encourages us to dwell in his word, but sometimes in times of failure and the times of trial and the times of just discouragement, the Lord will come and just stand with you. Paul writes about that, right? See, you have to understand God is a person. What we're not dealing with is morals and ethics and a, a way of life. You know, we, we get all that. That's part of it. But but the reality is you and I have a relationship with a real God, a real living deity who condescends so much into our life. And oftentimes he just needs to give you his presence to assure you that this is real, that this is tangible. Right? I've been in times of afterglow with the Lord where the presence of the Lord was so strong that it created the same response in Abram, in, in me, where uh, we're going to see Abram just falls on his face. There's certain groups that turn the presence in the Lord into a freak show, right? Slain in the spirit. They, they act like they're demon-possessed, or they start running around the aisles in the church. Maybe you guys have been to those churches where it's just, it's charismania. You know, God's not like that. If you're really in the presence of the Lord, you're going to recognize who you are in light of Him, and you're going to bow low. But God hasn't spoken for a while, and he shows up, gives Abram his presence, and he declares, I am Almighty God. But then he gives instruction. He says, Abram, this is the response I, I desire from you. His response is, walk before me and be blameless. What's he saying? He says, have an audience of one. Right? Abram's audience in the past, who he was walking before, was it was his dad and his natural family. God told him, get away from him. Then we see when he spooks out and goes to Egypt, it's because his audience was his entourage. How am I going to provide for them? Right? Then we see in his blunder with Hagar, his audience was his wife. Right? Now God says, disregard pleasing them people. Christian, when you obey and please God, no one will suffer. Write that down. No one's going to suffer, right? But ask yourself, who's your audience? Who are you trying to please? Who's the biggest voices in your life, right? Who are you worried about offending? Who are you worried about pleasing, right? Jesus said what? The fear of man brings a snare. When you live to please people, they'll never be happy, right? But the Lord desires that he's not one on a list of ten. He desires that he's list of one on he's number one on a list of one, right? Conduct yourself as if God is in the room with you because when you recognize and practice the presence of God in your life, the sin goes away. Would you look at stuff on the Internet knowing God was right there sitting there with you? Would you be watching that movie if you knew God was in the room with you? Right? Would you be saying those jokes at work if you knew God was standing there with you? Would you treat your wife and children or your husband that way, knowing God is right there in the room with you? There's a purifying effect in acknowledging that God is there with you. He's omnipresent. But as a believer, he, he indwells you. See, Abram didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit like we do. You ever grieve the Holy Spirit? You ever say or do something and then the Holy Spirit just makes you feel rotten? Where you can't enjoy the thirds you just ate after Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> where you've overindulged yourself, where you've given into your carnality, and, and the Lord's just like, have it. You just won't enjoy it, right? When you just recognize the Lord is there with you, it purifies you. But the Lord demands a response from us. And 
we can't outgive God. We can't outbless God. But the source of our life should always be based on what has God done for you, right? El Shaddai, the Almighty God. If God can do this, if God can do the hardest thing in your life, He needs Him to do for you, which is what? Save you and I from hell. Anyone here responsible for their own salvation? Absolutely not. It's a free gift. We just came to agreement with God that we're sinners and we need saving. And that, that it's by the work of the cross that we're able to stand before Jesus without frying. I, I like Indiana Jones. Remember the first Temple of Doom? Not Temple of Doom. What's, what's the first one? Raiders of the Lost Ark. When they open the Ark of the Covenant and all the Nazis melt. I think that's a real accurate portrayal. If you and I on Judgment Day stood before God without the blood of Jesus, we would just be like, we're not worthy. We'd totally Wayne's World it. Okay, just, hey, you 80s people, you understand what I'm talking about? All you 90s and 2000s, you're going, what are you talking about, Pastor Ben? 80s movies rock, right? Can you like do another one of those movies? Go to Allison. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> on VHS, very good. God demands a response. You ever ask yourself, how shall we live? How should I live in light of what Christ has done for me? See, you and I were bought with a price. We're not our own, are we? You know, I like the book of Ephesians. It's a tough book. If you want to turn with me, I'll just read something brief. Ephesians... starts off with three chapters of what Christ has done for you and I. See, you can't get to chapter 4 without first really absorbing what chapters 1 through 3 really mean to you and I. What has Christ done for you? But I want to pick it up in chapter 4. Just spoiler alert if you haven't read this book before. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You know, I don't see us as having options. Like, yeah, you have free will. You can or cannot, depending on what you what you want to do in your life. But I mean, how many of us only want to just get to heaven and that's it? <laughs> Anyone here want to be blessed now? And oftentimes... Depending on where our heart's at, we can either think walking with the Lord and tightening things up is a real downer, or we can look at it and go, I get to do this. I, I get to be free of depression. I get to be free of anxiety. I get to live sacrificially. I can be others-oriented. I can have joy again. I mean, that was one of the things that held me back from walking with the Lord early on in my life is I thought it was all about don't do's, like Christians don't have fun anymore. I don't know. I've had a real blast since I've given my life to the Lord. He's been very faithful. But he says, walk before me and be blameless. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is not perfection. That's not what he's saying here. He's, we kind of get that. We, act, we feel like we've got to act perfect. Well, that's, it's not going to happen because we're sinners. But the idea is, being blameless is to be without reproach, is to... Is to Ask the people around you what they think of you. And they're probably right. They're probably more right than, than, than not. But the idea is, is, can an accusation be made of you that you're acting carnal? Can, can you tell someone you're a Christian and they go, I never knew. I could not tell. Well, be blameless. To be without reproach, to, to conduct yourself as a child of God. Right? The, the early church was accused of being little Christs. That's where we get the term Christian. It was a dig. It was a slanderous remark. Oh, look at those little Christs. 
the early church blossomed in a town called Antioch, which was ripe with sin. They couldn't use the excuse, well, it's the people around me. That's why I act like this. Christian, you and I, we're called to be thermostats. We control the temperature of the room with our behavior. We're salt and light. Sometimes Christians, though, are thermometers, and they reflect the culture around them. And right now our culture is lukewarm, right? There's, there's attempts within churches to blend culture with Christianity to be attractional to those who have no desire for God. And that's where we, we see the church at Laodicea in the book of Revelation, where there's a standard of lukewarmness. We want to be relevant. You ever hear that thrown around in church? We need to be relevant, Christians. Not at all. We're not to be relevant. The world needs to adjust around us, right? You're a porcupine. <laughs> be that inconvenient truth around the people around you. Be the vocal minority, right? Conduct yourself in a way that pleases God so that people will avoid you, but they'll still call you at night when their life is falling apart. Right? There are no undercover Christians. There's no undercover cops. None of that. It's We need to be out there open and visible. So when the world does hit trial and tribulation, they know exactly who to look up to. But in this season, challenge yourself. Drown out all those other voices that speak influence in your life and say, like, Joshua did, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're, we're going to walk blameless before God, right? What if your cable company saw what you watch? What if your internet provider saw what you look, looked at online? What if, what if, heaven forbid, someone got a hold of your text messages? What would they see? Just set it all aside. Let the presence of the Lord purify you. Verse 2, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. I like how God simply reiterates himself. You find a lot of instruction in the scripture as such to be repetitive. Ephesians is really repeated in Colossians, right? You see a lot of the gospels, they repeat themselves. Why? Because we forget, right? Isn't it real quick for us to forget? the things of God. And and our flesh always wants to go on to some new and tidy and neat thing and, you know, some shiny object, that some crazy book. But, you know, I find that it's not Ben versus the world. It's not Ben versus the church. It's Ben versus the Word of God. And you find when you're really in the Word of God, when you've set all the fun books aside and all the blogs and all the pastors and teachers that are good and all, but when you just get between you and God and the Word of God, your life will start to change. And you go back to basics. There's never a new thing in the Bible. It's always love God with your whole heart, mind, body, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's, there's your marriage counseling. There's your parenting technique. There's your life in being single. There's your, there's your how to be a better employee. It's summed up in two verses. But we forget. We want some self-help. We want some silver bullet. We want some... Get right with God quick. But no, it's always the basics. But it's based on, in, in this experience, Abram is to focus on what God is going to do for Abram. It's never about us, is it? It's never about what we can do for God because we bring nothing to the table. Absolutely nothing. I, if you're a parent, you understand this. You ever, ever, ever have your kids help you cook? fix the car, clean, just creates more work, <laughs> more broken dishes, right? But you do it anyway because you have fellowship with your children. And yeah, it takes longer and it gets more expensive, but that's the way the Lord does it with us. Like, He doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us. He just wants you to participate with what He's going to do. And we need to be reminded of that. It's about the Lord and what He wants to do in your life. 
So verse 3, it says, Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. I like that. How hard is it for a 99-year-old man to fall on his face? It's got to be tough. I know in my 40s, I got a, a rug rat. I get on the floor to play with him, and I'm like, while I'm down here, does anyone need anything? Hey, there's that toy. Hey, there's the remote. You kind of hang out down there for a minute, but then you get down there and you start to get sore because your body can't bear the weight on your hands and knees. And you're like, oh, man, and I'm not even 50 yet. Couldn't imagine. I mean, Marty, you had an object lesson a couple weeks ago. I mean, you man down, and you're like, hey, I'm just going to hang out here for a minute. Ah, nice view. Like, can someone bring me a water? I'm just going to hang out. You know, Abram, Abram, 99. But notice how God approached him. God didn't scream at him. God didn't shout at him. God didn't whisper to him. God talked with him. Sometimes you're, you're, you maybe feel that God's not happy with you. Maybe, maybe God's mad at you. Maybe you haven't been all you could be as a believer. Be in good company. None of us have. And the Lord talked with him. Name me a religion where God talks. Their God talks to them. See, usually with religion, there's always just more rules. And it's always better luck next time. Maybe it'll work. We'll see when you get there. Our God comes into our human existence and he speaks to us. As for me, my covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of many nations. How many kids does Abram have now? One. How old is he? 99. I'll give Abram some grace. There might be some frustration where God has maybe given you and I promises that just haven't come into fruition yet. And you're just like, I get it. Time's wasting here, Lord. <laughs> I see what you're saying. I'll get there. God changes his name. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Abram, exalted father. Kind of a joke. Imagine being named exalted father for 99 years of your life, and everyone's like, well, tell me about your kids. Yeah, I don't have any. And the one you have is kind of an effort with somebody that's not your wife, and so there might be a little bit of embarrassment there going, well, I got this one over here. But God says, no, you will be. You will be. And so he changes his name to the father of many nations. And it's true. Abram really is kind of the stem in which a lot of the Middle Eastern nations come from. But there's also the nation of Israel. There's us. We relate to him as a nation out of faith. There's a lot to this covenant here. But God says, I'm changing your name. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come upon you. I believe there's going to be 24 things that God is going to say he's going to do for Abram. You ever feel like when you start walking with the Lord, you can get overwhelmed with all these... You know, if you look just at the red letters of Christ, there's well over 900 commands the Lord gives us. And you're like... Man, this is tough. You know, you get into the epistles. You get into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Who's doing good in that department? <laughs> Have a two-year-old. <laughs> that'll, show you your, that'll show you your patience. But God's going to say, I, 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 I. I will make you fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings shall come from you. And we know this, the greatest king will come from him, right? Christ himself. Abram being the patriarch of the nation of Israel to bring about the Messiah. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger and all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. 
Someone needs to send this to the UN. <laughs> what does an everlasting covenant mean? Forever, right? In New Jersey, fa-eva, okay? God's not worried about Hamas. God's not worried about Hezbollah. God's not worried about any of that. None of that is going to come true, right? Israel needs to come to terms with this, that you know their God is going to intervene because of what promise he made to Abram. You don't need to fret. Right, I follow the Israeli conflict over there, and I'm not an apologist for Israel per se, but I know they're God's people, and God has made covenants with them, and He is going to protect them. He's going to see them through this. But God has to wake His covenant people up to receive their Messiah. Israel hasn't been perfect in that, but God's going to be faithful regardless of that. Verse 10. Verse 9. And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. So what God is putting his thumb on is personal obedience. Christian, if you want to see revival, draw a circle around yourself and God, go, God, start here. I can't affect Lorium. I can't affect Calumet. I can't affect the Keweenaw Peninsula until I first sit under my own preaching. Until I first subject myself. See, God isn't going to use unsubmitted people to reach unsubmitted people. He needs to take his believers to get them submitted to the word of God. Then he'll add to that. Then he'll show the world what people governed by God look like. And that's what Israel's name is going to mean. Governed by God. So Christian, start with yourself. Examine your own personal obedience. Verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Gulp. You want me to what? Yep. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, go talk to your mom or dad. Right? Talk to Howard. He'll, he'll draw you a picture. <laughs> I had to teach this to a bunch of six and seven year old girls in Sunday school. You ever have that as a Sunday school teacher? Oh. I had to teach the story of Lot and his daughters too. I can't, I, I really want Margot to be able to teach this. They're not this far in Sunday school yet, but you know, this would be great for her, wouldn't it? So <laughs> circumcision. It's a cutting away of the flesh on a very intimate part of a man's body. And it's not unique to the Israelites. This was a cultural practice. The Egyptians would do it. The Bedouins would do it. It was something that occurs throughout all the region. It had a hygienic benefit to it, right? But what God's doing is taking something common like this and sanctifying it, and he's, he's adding value to it to be an external sign of an inner change. It's a reminder, a covenant. It's kind of like a wedding ring. Right? If I just bought a wedding ring and wore it, it doesn't make me marry, does it? This also doesn't adultery proof my marriage. This does nothing to protect my marriage. It just is a reminder that I am not my own anymore. That, that there's someone else who used to have a matching one, but now she has a jeweled one. She has a better one. Right? It's, I was informed it's okay to lose your wedding ring every 20 years to get a better one. Yeah. It's a good story behind that. But uh, she has the one she wants. But this is an outer sign of a covenant I made between God and another person. And that's what circumcision is at this time. It was to remind the people in the covenant, hey, you've done something. You've made a commitment. And that this is just a simple reminder. When you look and you observe something has been removed from you, from an intimate part of your body, he says, every male child in your generations, eight days or older, or he's eight, yeah, let me read it here. He says, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who was born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. You know, it, it, it's neat when you, you study, nowadays we don't do this at eight days because you can, you can add a blood coagulant to a child when, like my son, who I think was circumcised while he was in the hospital that first day or two. 
But at this time, they under, they didn't understand it. They just followed God's practice that at eight days, the coagulant in the blood, the vitamin K, is at its highest. And that's when you can safely perform that. Some cultures do it at 13 years of age. Some cultures do it various stages of the life. They do it before they're married. That doesn't make sense. But not only is he saying, Moses, or excuse me, Abram, I demand personal obedience, but he's also saying there needs to be household obedience. Abram was not to keep his faith to himself. He was to require his family and his household to participate. And what kind of free will can an eight-year-old, eight-day-year-old child exhibit? None. But God's saying it's your faith you impart to your children before their age of accountability. And so it's the same thing, Christian. What's it going to cost you to demand obedience out of your family? What's it going to say when you sit your kids down? Like, do you give your kids options like, hey, which bed do you want to sleep in tonight? Which house do you want to sleep in? But when it comes to the matters of the faith, I don't like this statement. I don't want to force my religion on my child because they may not like it. Well, then, you know what the alternative is? It's hell. Right? By not sharing and, and exhibiting and explaining and demanding obedience from your children, you're setting them up for failure. The Bible says train your child in the way they should go, not the way they want to go. And you need to, fathers, I'm going to talk to the fathers here, the buck stops with you because when a dad gets his life in order with God, the family follows. Mom's not so much. It's a, it's a fight. Because God has ordained the man of the house to do it. But sometimes, men, we don't like the fight. We, would just, we just would let our kids make their own decisions. I don't ask my kid what they're going to eat, what they want to eat. If I let my kids pick dinner, it'll be cereal and Pop-Tarts. <laughs> right? They'll, they'll eat chicken nuggies and mac and cheese for the rest of their life, you know? It's funny, like when my wife offers food to Matthew, he snubs it. But then he watches Dad eat the same thing that mom offered. He's all about it. I don't know, is it because fat guys make food look that much better? <laughs> you ever watch someone eat something and you're like, ooh, that looks like it hits good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't ever, I my mean, kids might, okay, anyone here have a mooch where you're eating and your kid just, you know, I have an octopus with two hands. Like I'll be eating and then I just see hands reach up and and you're like, get your own, get your own. But what's it going to cost you, dads, to start a devotion at home, to, to put aside the things of the flesh your kids are engaging in? Do you, do you monitor what's on TV? Do you monitor what's on their phones? How about this? Why does a kid need a smartphone? Why does, a underage, why does an adult need unmonitored access to the Internet? You've got to explain to your kids why this stuff is wrong. Why this stuff is garbage? Why this stuff does not bring honor and glory to God? You know, we were talking the other day about movie ratings, how they've really shifted the scale on that. And then the online streaming services have their own rating. You know, when I, maybe it's, I'm getting old. When I see a movie, when it says this, this movie has adult situations, I'm thinking, oh, they're going to do their taxes and shop for a mortgage. <laughs> But then I'm like, oh, they're having intercourse. I did that as a teenager. That's not adult. That's just vile passion. That's youthful lust. And I'm like, I don't get it. This is, I, I was hoping to have like some Dave Ramsey advice here. But, you know, your job, Christian, dad, you are to protect your house because the devil wants to kill your kids. And he doesn't take a break. Right? You send your kids to a public school run by Caesar. They're going to come home as Romans if you don't be like, hey. There's two genders. Boys don't go potty in the ladies' room and vice versa. You'll get fired for that. But that's what the world's teaching your children. Right? The world doesn't have the best interest of your family. Okay? The buck stops with you. And, and the thing is, is you want to breed confusion in your house, parents. You live a compromised lifestyle and then try to share Jesus with them. They're going to spot that you're not living under your own wisdom. You can't, 
expect more out of your kids than yourself. Same as me as a pastor of the church. I can't expect more out of you guys than myself. I can't ask someone to do something I'm not willing to do. Right? So it's my job to learn how to run 100 miles an hour so those who watch me are going to run 10. Same thing with you is, is your obedience is going to be caught. Some of you guys have grown up in Christian homes. And in some respects, you were drawn to the comeliness and the attractiveness of, of Christ through your folks. But more often than not, you pick up on their carnality just as much. And you may be exhibiting it because you saw your parents do it. You know, Some people have a distaste for church because of how their parents lived outside of the Sunday gathering. Right? Kids are very intuitive. So you need to hold yourself to a high standard for their sake. Right? You were to explain why we do this. We just don't do things to do things here. We, this is why. Right? But sometimes you've given a little too much rope and there's a lot of slack. And when you go to reel it in, now you have the fight. And, and the thing is, is we sometimes don't want the fight. But you got to remember, you're going to stand as a man. Men, you're going to stand before the Lord for your family. Period. Be like, be like Job. Prayed and sacrificed for his kids daily. You know, my concern, you know, I, <laughs> if you've grown up in the church, the pastor's kids are always the worst, right? They're the biggest jerks in the church. It's like a guarantee. Like you can, you don't even have to tell me who the pastor's kids are in a church. I have friends that are pastor's kids, and boy, they have great testimonies. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, my second time through rehab, you know what the problem some of those, those young men faced was the duality of their dad. Dad was a hero in the pulpit, hero at the men's conference, hero within the denomination, at, and he never brought his kids into his ministry. He compartmentalized. He left mom and the kids at home. Mom had to discipline and control the household and the kids got away from her because dad wasn't there to draw the line or dad was heavy-handed and abusive right he was far more patient with his flock than his family that these kids saw that dad clearly has there, there must be two versions of dad out there and so they've walked away from the faith they and, and so for my challenge myself is i need to be the same man i am at home here and and here at home and ministry always begins at home doesn't it this, this is part of the ministry, but my life has to pour into this, not here into my life. Right? I need to practice at home. And I don't ever want the ministry to be a painful experience for my children. I don't want them to be like, oh, dad's gone again. Oh, dad's at Bible study again. You know, why can't we bring our kids to home Bible study that 13 and up? where they're at an age where they understand. Why can't our kids be in ministry with us? Why can't you teach your kids to come and serve with you or do things for the Lord together? Let's keep going here. I got two sets of notes today. <laughs> Verse 13, he who was born in your house and he who was bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. You know, it's also important that he takes... Authority, not only over himself and his immediate biological family, but amongst his tribe, amongst his entourage, right? He needs to take account for them too. He needs to have an effect on them. And it's the same thing for you and I at work, school, and play. Are you the voice of reason there? You know, are you the salt and light at work? Are you the, the dreaded Christian? And, and, and take that with a badge of honor. If the world likes you as a Christian, maybe something could be wrong. They should love the fact you don't steal from the company, that you show up early, stay late, clean the bathrooms. They should enjoy that part. But if, you got, if you've got the, the worst jokes, or you can drink the most beers, or you can be the life of the party, that's not what God expects of us. As, 
is sometimes you need to be the one who's the dead honest guy there, who's not ripping the boss off with time. You're not flinching pens and toilet paper, right? You're not, you're not scrubbing the numbers, right? You're not ripping your customers off. You're not shortchanging your boss, right? And you need to disciple those around you. Be like, hey, you know what? Let's clean it up, guys. You, you do have an influence. You may not see it, but, but that is what's expected of us. As God sends us out, he says, be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. Right? He, he sends you among the wolves. And it, it doesn't take much, especially us men. When God says, hey, tighten it up, you're going to hear the other backbones in the room straighten up. Right? We have influence. You don't ever have to twist someone's arm. You can shut down the bad talk. You can shut down the gossip. You can shut down the slander. You can shut down the thievery. Right? And you say, hey, none of this is, is, you know, and how do you get the heathen to honor God? But that's not the point. It's like, hey, you know what? You know why you don't get a raise this year? It's because you've been ripping the company off. <laughs> do, you, do you know why? Do you know why the, the company's suffering? It's because you're showing up late. You're, you're being a dingus too. And sometimes you gotta, you, Put your foot down. Be that guy. See, God is forming a nation here. He's forming an environment for Isaac to be born into. Right? He's preparing the earth. He's preparing the soil because Isaac is going to be the child of promise. Isaac is going to go on to be the father of Jacob. Right? The patriarchs are going to come through this. And so God has to deal corporately with Abram's family. Men, don't ever discredit what God's telling you to do because where you and God go, you make the majority. That's why he says, I'm almighty God. God is with you when you obey him. Don't ever think it's just you against the world. No, you've got a mighty God behind you. Right? And, and the world needs to see a man totally in love and sold out for Jesus. The world needs to see a woman totally in love and sold out for Jesus. Right? And I don't mean be a Jesus freak and praise the Lord, hallelujah, pass the casserole, right? There's that form. But there's like somebody who just walks uprightly, conducts themselves as if God is in the room. You know? Let your kids watch you read your Bible. Let, let your kids watch you spend some time in devotion. Bring them into that. My wife has a great story where she used to, uh, she worked at a, a business in Iron County. And at lunch, she would read one of her women's devotional books, Oswald Chambers or something like that. She would just read it and she invited whoever wanted to listen. Can I read this out loud with everyone? Not forcing it on anyone. Just saying, hey, I'm just doing this because everyone's like, what are you reading? And she did that for a season. And just through that devotional, God brought about and exposed adultery in a married couple in the company. And not only did he expose it, but he healed it. He restored. And one of the people in that was a believer. She gets right with God. Her and her husband start coming to church. And if you, my wife is not super outspoken about her faith, but she just came at lunch, ate her lunch, read her little, my utmost for highest, but the word of God is so living active, it exposed and restored. That's how powerful God's word is, right? Don't ever discredit that. Verse 15, Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. Now, you remember what Sarai meant? Contentious. And we saw she kind of was a little bit of an act. You ever watch a Middle Eastern woman in action? You went to Israel, right? <laughs> Those Jewish mom jokes are true. <laughs> well, Abram comes home and he says, Honey, just had a talk with, with Almighty God. 
change my name. Guess what? Changed your name too. And guess what he changes his name to, her name to? Princess. <laughs> and it's true. She's a patriarch's wife. She's going to be, she's going to be the queen. She's going to be the mother of all nations. You know, it's such an affectionate term. You know, like we use that for our baby daughters. I raised a princess. Even when she's doing wrong, she can do no wrong. Right? She's a spoiled little brat. That's why you have little girls. Right? Princess. Affectionate term. Daughter of God here. I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and he shall be... And she shall be mother of nations. King of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. <laughs> is, is he scoffing here? I don't think so. I think, I think what it's saying here is he's blown away that God's going to do this. I think there's like, you ever think when God tells you what he wants to do with you? And you're like, <laughs> okay. Really? I think there's, there's, there's joy in this laughter. And he said in his heart, he didn't say it out loud, he, he thought it, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old and shall Sarah who is 90 years old bear a child? Yeah. Are you excited what God wants to do with your life? Are you excited? Maybe God has given you a promise. He's given you a ministry. He's given you a vision of what your future, and it's just not there yet. He hasn't, you haven't come into perfection of it, and his timing is as such. But you ever get excited what God wants to do in your life? See, we, we, we grow weary in doing good because it just takes time. And oftentimes you're just like, why even bother? Or, or just be excited. You know, when I came to the Lord, the Lord gave me that verse in Joel. The, 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 he was going to restore the years that the locusts have eaten in my life. You know, I came to the Lord at 27. And from 17 to 27 was pretty action-packed for the kingdom of hell. And I, and I realized I just kind of wasted my fighting years. And the Lord's like, no, he didn't. Watch what I'm going to do. But he told me, he says, Ben, I will restore, but I need you to be all in. It's not going to be easy but it's going to be blessed. And I was excited. He didn't tell me exactly. I wasn't even necessarily called into the pastorate yet. Like I had an idea maybe. I mean, I was weeks sober. You know, part of the circumcision process was God was telling Abram and his people, he says, he says there's things that got to be cut from you, right? When you go into the epistles, it talks about, it talks about the circumcision of the flesh where you have to cut away certain things in your life as a response to what God has done for you. What is God asking you to cut away? Because it's preventing God from blessing you. It's like this. God's coming to you and He says, I want to fill your pockets full of gold. But maybe your pockets are full of lint and rocks. Maybe your, your pockets are full of addiction. Maybe your pockets are full of debt. Maybe your pockets are full of depression, anxiety. Self-indulgence. God's saying, cut it out. Just cut it out. It's painful to cut your flesh away, right? Circumcise your heart. Posture your heart. Make a division. You know, ask the Lord. Just as David prayed, he says, Oh Lord, search me and know me. Show me my, show me the presumptuous sins. Show me the sins of omission. Show me the things that, that I'm not even aware of in my life. You ever ask God, what do you want to take away from me? What do I need to stop doing? You'll be surprised. Doesn't want you to laugh at that. Doesn't want you to watch that. Doesn't want you to think like that. Doesn't want you to read that book. You know, it's not that he's being a wet blanket. He just is telling you garbage in, garbage out. I found my addictions went away when I started walking in the things of God, where I didn't have to get high. I didn't have to drink anymore because I had contentment with God. Maybe that's that's where you're at. Maybe you have the peace with God in the sense of salvation, but maybe you don't have the peace of God leading you to self-comfort. Maybe there's some things practically you haven't sanctified yourself with, and it's causing anxiety. It's causing worry. It's causing a lack of peace, and you have to turn to the pot, the drugs, the, the, the overeating, the self-indulgence, right? The things that, you know, 
smoking. I call smoking kind of like the fake prayer life, right? You get all wound up and then you go and you just have your, I love you, cigarette. I remember, you know, when I quit smoking, I wasn't even right with God. I heard a voice tell me, he says, you don't have to do that anymore. And I lost the desire. You know, quitting cigarettes sometimes is worse than quitting any, like heroin. Quitting sugar. Anyone here stop eating sugar? Oh, my gosh. You want to beat a kid down for a candy bar, you know? You get three days into that withdrawal, and you're just like, oh, I need a Snickers, man. The Lord has given you a spirit of self-control. And you know what the thing is with Abram? He didn't have the spirit in him. He's telling Abram, or rather Abraham, to do this in his flesh as a natural man. And he's going to do it. Cut aside your flesh. See, Abraham's laughter of joy, he wasn't scoffing. He knew that God was going to work something out. But here's another expression, maybe of doubt, that Abram had here. Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. Just bless my efforts. You, you know how I see this manifest in church culture? Christians who are not submitted to God, Christians who aren't plugged into a church where their church isn't their church and their pastor isn't their pastor, they have these what I call hobby ministries. It's their thing they do for God. And they go from church to church to church looking for somebody to hire them as like a subcontractor or a lone ranger. This is what I do. Not here? No, you're, you're here to be submitted to God through the pastorate, to be an extension of what God has here. And sometimes when you come, you have to lay your agenda down. you got to realize that, hey, maybe your Ishmael is just that. Maybe God doesn't want to do that with you. Or maybe God never gave you that ministry, but you've made your identity that ministry. And God says no. I remember when I left my home church and got sent out, I was doing youth ministry, and one day it just dried up. All the kids grew up. There was no one coming in behind them in that age group. And I really sensed it was just time to go. And that God was going to give me a new ministry. That that was just a season. That's okay. But you and I, Christian, we don't set the terms and we don't bring any natural talent. You're going to find as you draw off your spiritual gifts, they're not natural talent. Right? God uses supernatural things to do supernatural things through natural people. And God will never acknowledge sometimes your previous effort. It doesn't matter. What you did yesterday for the kingdom doesn't matter. It's what you're going to do now and in the future. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new wineskin. Oh, right? Because if you put new wine in an old wineskin, it'll burst. God wants to do something new. God's a debtor to no man. He doesn't owe us. Then God said, no. Sarah, don't you hate it when God says no? I actually, I've learned better now. I like the word no. The word wait, I hate the word wait. When God says wait, doesn't that drive you crazy? Kind of like the sermon, driving you crazy, it's going long. But, but he says, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, and for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. God sets the terms. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Next year? We better go get diapers. Ishmael. You know, God loves Ishmael. God has a plan for Ishmael. You know, we get a lot of what ifs and what abouts. Ask yourself, what are the what abouts? What about this? What about. God has it covered, right? Just do what God says. He'll take care of the rest. I mean, I like the story of Melchus's servant. Remember the servant boy that Peter cut his ear off as he was trying to help God? It's a picture of me. I'm like Peter. I'm going to help you, Jesus. I'm going to cut this 13-year-old's ear off. It's probably how you 13-year-olds feel now as I'm cutting your ear off with the sermon. And God, Jesus just picks the ear up and puts it back on. Just, I got it. God, God is going to take care of all that. 
But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abram. Abraham, excuse me. So look what he does. Verse 23. His response was immediate. Immediate obedience. What does God do when he instructs you? I'm like Pharaoh. One more night with the frogs. How long do you wait? Ask yourself, what are you waiting for? Why are you dragging your feet? Start your New Year's resolution today. If you didn't start it on the first, start it today. Right? Start 2025's resolution today. Right? You know the best day for me to lose weight? Tomorrow. So Abraham took Ishmael his son and all who were born in his house and all who were brought with his, bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day. Woohoo! Abram, you get a star on your name on the chalkboard today, buddy. As God had said to him. What is God saying to you? And when are you going to get on the stick? Write the letter. Make the phone call. Cancel the cable. You know, I have a friend. Let me just bring this story up. He's got a teenage child and from a previous marriage. And so, the, you know, the kid wanted to come over on the weekends, but the child laid the terms down. Well, I'm not going to church with you. And the dad said, he says, then you're not coming to my house. What? Sorry, kid. We go to church here. You live with me, you go to church with me. No, he doesn't kick the kid out of his life at all. I mean, he's just saying, look, you don't set the terms. You don't even know how, you can't even, you're 13, you're 14. You don't know nothing, you know? More colorful expression, but the idea is, is like, how do you know what's good for you, you know? And, and then he's like, we're going to go serve the Lord. And it does affect his relationship, but he's doing what's right. Don't let the family and the people that you disciple get in cheaper than you. Also, start disciplining your family now and yourself now so God does not have to. Right? How many men are in prison who have a dad at home? 85%. Guarantee you go down to county, those kids weren't spanked. Now they're being spanked by the government. Set a standard for yourself. And then hold them to the standard that you hold yourself to. Be consistent. Have a united front with your spouse. Sit under your own wisdom. Don't undermine your own authority. Don't have two units of measure for the kids. Everybody follows the same. Make the kingdom of God important. Structure your week around church, around Bible study, around prayer, around devotion. Make obedience both practical and valuable. More is seen than heard. Again, don't give your kid options. You give an account. That very same day, he acted. Abram was 99 years old. It's never too late to start over, Christian. Maybe you've been blowing it. Maybe you've just been dragging your heels. And the beauty is, is his mercies are new every day. Right? He's more concerned with what you're doing today and tomorrow. The past is the past, and praise the Lord, Jesus died for your sins of the past. He's working with you. He's saying, today, what are you going to do today? He was 99. He can teach an old dog new tricks. He was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. I wonder what that howl sounded like. There's no painkiller. <laughs> Where's Dad been for the last week? He's out in the woods. Is that that crying I hear at night? Yeah. Never mind, kids. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Man, that must have been a pig rodeo, you know. And Ishmael, his son, okay, we said that then that very same day, Abram was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men in his house, born in the house, bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. It's amazing what God can do with one man starting in his house. I'm not a pastor because, or rather, I don't say the things I say and do because I'm a pastor. 
I'm a pastor because of the things I say and do. I didn't take a pastor course. I, I, I just simply walked in the obedience of God, and, and my pastor and elders saw something, saw a work occurring, and they recognized it as an anointing of the Spirit. And, they, and, and I remember I got a letter from my pastor years and years ago, an email that he sent to the other pastors in our fellowship. He says, man, I sent you out to be pastors because I don't have to monitor your walk with the Lord. I don't have to tell you to pray. I don't have to tell you to read your Bibles. I don't have to tell you to be obedient. You should already be doing that. Right? He's already got that with the young men in his fellowship. He didn't need me to create more work for him. And so, man, are you self-starters? Are you holding yourself up? Right? Does someone need to hold your hand? I mean, women, wives, pray for your husbands. Hold their hand in your prayer closet. Men, have another prayer partner. Hold each other up. Don't nitpick. Don't be critical. But just be like, hey, are you loving Jesus today? Are you walking in grace today? You're going to run 100 miles an hour, so those around you will run 10. So set the standard. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your exhortation. We thank you for your encouragement that you are with us as men. You're with us as women. You're with us as children of God. Lord, you're changing our name from carnal, wretched, fleshy bag of pus to fathers and mothers in the kingdom. Fathers of many nations, princesses of many nations. and Anoint that, Father. Give us the power of your spirit to be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.